0: this morning. I'm blessed because I get to sit and receive. I actually preached a fun message last week, but today I get to sit and be blessed and receive. And it's one of our good friends. He's come here before. You guys know him. You guys love him. Would you please stand to your feet and welcome with me our friend, Pastor Scott Williams, as he comes. Come on, give it up. Give it up. Hello, hello, hello. Let's go ahead and start this thing off right. If you know that God is good all the time, let me hear you make some noise. You guys may be seated. You may be seated. Awesome, awesome. Man, I am excited to be able to share with you guys today. It is 2016, and you are starting your year off right. You are in the house of God. And I'm telling you, man, God, uh, man, He has a word uh, from Him to you through me and His Word. So I'm excited to be able to preach it to you. And uh, by a show of hands, how many of you guys want 2016 to be amazing? You want 2016 oh, to be yeah. yeah, you do. Everybody does. And so here's the deal. I can guarantee you this. If you listen to what God says to you today and you apply these principles, guarantee that you'll look at the end of this year and you'll be like, man, I'm ready. 2016 was a success. You're going to be ready to do some new things, to face some new giants, and to have some new victories. And so uh, for those of you guys that may be new or maybe weren't here the last time I was here, my name is Scott Williams. i bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, the city of Oklahoma City, home of the, yes, I I don't know if you're from Oklahoma City or you just like what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, but uh, home of the 2016 NBA champions, Oklahoma City Thunder. I do not understand this. That is not a joke, and I mean, here's the deal. I don't know. I'm so... I'm so sick of hearing about the bandwagon Golden State Warrior fans. Like, eh. here's a, Again, here's a story of life and in basketball. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so just remember I told you that. You remember that you heard it from the black guy with dreads that the Thunder was going to win <laughs> the NBA championship. For those of you guys that are online, so glad that you guys are here with us as well. Again, uh, a little bit about me. I'm married. I have one wife. She's awesome. Um, yeah, She's great. She's, uh, she's a bodybuilding competitor. She's hot. She loves Jesus. We have two boys. They're 12 and 16 years old, uh, Wesley and Jay. They were actually here with me on Friday night. They left uh, Friday night right after service, and so they are back home safely uh, getting ready to start school. And so they travel with me a lot. I travel all around the world. I have a, a consulting company called Next Level Solutions, and we we do strategy work with churches and corporations all around the world for everything from a corporation in the Silicon Valley to some of the largest churches in the world. And so, which means I get the opportunity to go around and travel to great places and meet great people like you guys. And I'm telling you, like, it is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share my very first Sunday of 2016 with Anchor Church. I love this church. I love your pastors. I just want to tell you guys, like, as someone who works with lots of pastors, works with lots of leaders, one thing about it, one thing that you guys need to know is that you have some real deal leaders. What you see is what what you get. The same thing you see on stage is what you see off stage. No pretense, no faking and shaking. I'm just so sick of faking and shaking people, especially faking and shaking pastors. And so you guys have some great leaders with audacious faith, with big vision. And as a result of it, God is doing amazing things through ancient Church. So if you would, uh, give your pastors a hand clap. Pastor Carl and Kanani. LeKendry and I really have uh, hit it off with them. We love hanging out with them. They're just great, great people. And so, again, it's an honor to be able to sit here. I travel a lot, so I'm always in airplanes. I am always have some sort of airplane story. I remember one time, wasn't long ago, I was supposed to be on a flight, number 1252, going to Los Angeles, California. Uh, come to find out, I was on flight number 666 going straight to hell. And they like, true story, like, here's the deal. Matter of fact, like, here's the deal. Like, a true story, like, I'm, I'm in a flight, and in front of me, um, this, this nice little lady with a, a little baby sitting in front of me. Here's the deal. I love little babies. I know, Trevor, y'all have a new little baby. I love little babies. I'll kiss your little baby. I'll hug your little baby. But this little baby was trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records for how long you could cry in one sitting. So I have the little crying baby in front of me, like, ah! The baby's just crying in front of me. And then there was a kid behind me that kept kicking the back of my seat. And so I have crying baby, I have dude behind me, so he's kicking the back of my seat. And every time he kicks the back of my seat, I go closer to crying baby. And then about 10 minutes into the flight, this little lady that was sitting next to me, she decided to to break out her lunch for the day, which consisted of about a half a dozen hard-boiled eggs, a bag of pickles, and an onion that she ate like an apple, So I'm sitting here with with crying baby in front of me, kid in back of me, kicking my seat. My lady is eating pickles and onions, not on a sesame seed bun, but then I'm sitting here, and so she's sitting there doing that, and the baby's kicking, and finally I just turn around to the kid behind me, I said, are you a black belt? He looks at me like, huh? I said, if you don't quit kicking the back of my seat, you're gonna meet a black belt. You know what I'm saying, like, I will spank somebody else's kid in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying, like, true story, like, It's true. True story. (laughs) Again, I really feel like I'm the mailman here to deliver a package that God has given me for you guys. And so uh, before we uh, dive into the word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, speak to our hearts. Amen. Y'all thought it was going to be some long-winded prayer? Uh, Just for the record, God listens to short prayers as well. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor, take word. People like short prayers. Here's the deal, but every single one of us, by a show of hands, like, how many of you guys have, like, that friend or family member that likes to pray really long prayers? It's by a show of hands, keep them up. All right, keep them up. All right, for those of you guys that are not raising your hand, you are that friend or family member. I'm just saying, like, like seriously, like, yeah, like, like, literally, like, it's Christmas. Like, you just want to bro- eat the turkey and they want to pray for Haiti and world peace and everything else. Brother, just trying to cut the turkey. You know what I'm saying? Just trying to. Just trying to cut the turkey. Um, um, if you have your Bibles with you today, you can open them up to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, that's where we'll begin our time together. It's on page uh, 218 in my Bible. I'm not sure where it is in yours, but if you go ahead and turn there. And if you don't remember anything that I say today, remember that you need to act. Everybody say act. act. Everybody say act. It's the acronym ACT, and so just remember that. We'll unpack it uh, as we go uh, verse by verse through the text, but what I'm going to do, we're going to look at a very familiar story in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, many of you guys have heard the story of David and Goliath, but some of you guys may have not. If you haven't heard the story of David and Goliath, then what I'll do is you will know all about it here in the next uh, 20 eight minutes and four seconds. And so you will know all about it. And so here's the thing. So I'm going to set the the, the stage for you guys and kind of just give you the context of what we're looking at in scripture. Uh, It's around 1010 BC and you had these two nations that were getting ready to go to battle. And so imagine this, imagine like Aloha Stadium. You got Aloha Stadium. You have uh, on one side, you have the good guys, you have the nation of Israel. And on the other side, you have the bad guys, the Philistines are on the other side. And in the middle, which would be like the football field or the field area is what was called the Valley of Elah. And the Valley of Elah was significant because whichever nation controlled this valley, they had um, economic advantages because it was a sycamore tree that was part of their economy, but they also had national security advantages. And so you had these two nations, they're getting ready to go to battle. They're sitting there, but they're both kind of lined up on these steep slopes, but neither one wants to go first because whoever went down the steep hill first would be at a disadvantage. And so they're sitting there almost like two kids on a playground getting ready to go fight like, no, you throw the first punch. No, you throw the first punch. And so they're sitting there. They're getting ready to go to battle. And let me go ahead and give you some of the players that are in the story. So you have uh, Jesse. Uh, Jesse was a sharecropper, and Jesse had eight sons. And his three oldest sons were actually out there on the battle lines with the nation of Israel, with King Saul, with the good guys. And so the three eldest sons are out there on the battle lines. And then his youngest son's name was David. And David was the shepherd boy. His responsibility was to take care of the sheep. And so the the literal translation, he would scoop the sheep dung and take care of the sheep. So like he would scoop the poop. And so that's what he would do. He would scoop the poop. He would tend to the sheep. And so that's a contrast from his eldest brother. The oldest brother's name was Eliab. And Eliab was the chosen one. He was the good-looking one. He was the handsome one. He was the one that was uh, fashioning himself after the warriors of the time, trying to position himself to be the next king of Israel. So that's Eliab. But he's also the one where in Scripture God tells us this, that, that man looks at the outside and the outward appearance, but God looks at what? God looks at the heart. And so that's who Eliab is. And then one, the, the biggest player in the story is this big giant named Goliath and Goliath stood nine feet, six inches tall. Nine foot six, just to give you some context, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot one, the tallest person to ever live in our time, in modern time, was a guy by the name of the, they called him the Alton Giant. His name was Robert Wadlow, he's from Alton, Illinois. And when he died, he stood eight feet, 11 inches tall. So Goliath was even seven inches taller than him. So imagine, I mean, he's a tall, he's a, he's a bad guy. And so uh, what would happen was is every single day, Goliath would come out and do his chants and disrespect of the nation of Israel. And what he liked to do is he liked to come out in the morning in the evening, imagine him just come out and disrespecting their God, talking noise, just you know, talking smack. That's, that's what he did. But everybody was scared of him because he was a terror. But he would come out in the morning and evening because that's when the Israelites were praying. And so he knew that to push their buttons at the right time. And how many of you guys know that's kind of the story of life? That sometimes when people like to push our buttons, they push our buttons at the right time, they push our buttons at the right place. That's when the enemy whispers those, those things into our ear, at the right time and at the right place. That's when, when our children sometimes, uh, unfortunately, parents, our, our kids push our buttons at the right time and at the right place. And so that's what Goliath would do. He'd come out and he'd disrespect him every single day. And so as David was sitting back taking care of the sheep, his three oldest brothers are out there on the battle lines. Jesse goes to David he's like, hey, David, I want you to go um, out to the battle lines and check on your brothers and see how they're doing. And then just come back and give me a report of what's happening, what's going on. And as a matter of fact, I want you to take this roasted grain and corn with you and take it to him. And so you guys track with me in the story? Okay. So, so David, he's got jiffy cornbread in hand. He goes, he makes his way, uh, he makes his way to the battle lines and he goes and he finds his brothers out there and he's like, you know, I don't know exactly what the conversation went like. I wasn't there, but uh, it, it went something like this. Hey, what's up, fellas? Uh, Dad wanted me to come out here and see what you guys were doing make sure everything is good. Everything good? You good? Okay, yeah, well, he wants to want to give you this uh, roasted grain and corn and see what's going on. And about the time David is sitting there having a conversation with his brothers was the time that Goliath stood out to do his normal defiance and disrespect. And I love what the Bible says. He stepped out to do his disrespect and David heard it. You see, here's the thing. There's an entire army that's lined up, but they didn't say that the army heard. They said, and David heard it. What's key is here's the, the army heard it. But David, he heard it. And so here's, there's going to be some things that you're going to hear, but then there's other things that you're going to hear. And you're going to internalize them, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to make something happen because I hear it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how we can be some giant killers, because, as a matter of fact, how we can take out some things in our life and how we can walk into 2016 kicking the doors and have a year of success, how we can have a year of victory in 2016. And so, as a matter of fact, the title of today's message is Giant Killer. Uh, What I want you to do right now, I want you to turn around to your neighbor and say, I am a giant killer. (laughs) I want you to stop right there. I want you to stop right there. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn around to your other neighbor, the one that was clearly your second choice. Your second choice. Your second choice. Turn around to your second choice neighbor and say, I am a giant killer. Somebody back there is saying it like they mean it, and by the end of this message, I want you guys to say, matter of fact, can I, can I get you guys online? I don't know if you got to tap the screen, but everyone in here, I need y'all to help me preach this message, because here's the deal, as you guys help me preach, I think God will speak something new to you, so it's okay for you to respond back. You can say, man, that was good, I needed that. Matter of fact, if you want to, you can stand up and say, that was good, she needed that. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever it is, but like, um, don't say that. Fellas, just trying to help you in 2016. Uh, so again, if you're taking notes, uh, you can write the first thing down. If you want to be a giant killer, if you want to see some victory in 2016 and beyond, the first thing you need to do is you would need to acknowledge there is a giant. Everybody say acknowledge. acknowledge. Verse 25-26. Here's what the text says. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And David is sitting there, and he hears them saying that he's out there on the battle lines. Goliath is out there tripping, and David's like, what, you mean to tell me? If I fight this big, ugly guy, no more IRS, baby, and I can get the king's fine daughter in marriage, I here I am, sin me. Put me first in line. I'm signing up. Did you guys hear what he said? I'm called to this. Yeah, let me do this. I mean, that was like the, the new NIV version. <laughs> that was the Negro international version. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like... Lord forgive me. But anyway, let's go, to what the, let's go to what the real NIV says. Verse 26. It's similar. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? It might be even worse. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, who is this big, ugly giant and who does he think he is walking in here like a wrecking ball disrespecting my God? And here's the deal. Here's what we need. What I love about this is that, that David was acknowledging a giant that wasn't even his. I don't think you guys heard me. David is just minding his business, delivering the corn, and he, he steps out, he hears this, and he's acknowledging a giant that's not even his. And that's a reminder. You're going to have to acknowledge a giant sometime on behalf of a friend, on behalf of a family member, on behalf of your nation, on behalf of some generational curses that are in your life, on behalf of your sons or daughters. And no, sometimes you're not even going to acknowledge a giant that's on your behalf. But the key is this. You must be willing to acknowledge the giant. Because every single one of us has giants. Every single one of us. Some of them come as something as thin as paper money. Or some of them as size as a a bottle of alcohol or a prescription drug bottle. Or maybe it's a credit card and, and spending money you don't have trying to please people that don't really matter. Or maybe it's as wide as your negative thoughts and your depression and your insecurity. Or maybe it's people pleasing, whatever it is, every single one of you has a giant, every single one of you online has a giant. And the key is, if you wanna take out your giants, you must acknowledge that they exist. How do you expect to take out a giant in your life if you haven't even acknowledged that it existed? If you walk into 2016 trying to do more of the same and not acknowledging your giant, guess what? You're gonna come to the end of the year and you're gonna have more of the same. But guess what, if you acknowledge that there's a giant, you're gonna start to be on the steps to having some breakthrough, to having some victory in 2016. I mean, that's kind of been the story of my life. There's so many times where I just simply have to acknowledge there's a giant. I mean, last time I was here, I told you guys that I was the, at the age of 25, I was the youngest prison warden in the country. And I didn't realize at that time that God was going to use my time as a prison warden to prepare me for ministry. And when I became a, a full-time pastor, I went on staff at a church called Life Church. It's the largest church in America. And I, was a, I remember I was a pastor in training there. And like, I was simply a guy, a fisherman, a, a prison warden that fell in love with Jesus, wanted to do more. I got plugged in, no, no seminary or formal training. And I remember I was a pastor in training for three days, right? I was a pastor in training. Everybody say three days. I was a pastor in training for three days, which means I wasn't very experienced. And so the guy that was training me, like I was hanging out with him for the weekend. And so all I remember is like we were at the end of the service and the service was letting out and we're sitting there in the lobby greeting people. Again, I'm just watching him. I'm trying to learn the ropes. I'm pastoring pastor for three days. And so we're sitting there and I remember this lady comes out of the service. And when she comes out of the service, I remember something about, she said something about needing prayer, healing, doctor's appointment on Monday and something or another. That's all I remember. And then uh, the pastor that I was shadowing, Pastor David was like, hey, well, pastor Scott, let's go to the office and we're going to pray over and everything. I'm like, cool. So I'm, I'm a pastor and train. I'm just going to watch what you do. Right. And so we go, we go to the office and we get to the office. And when we go there and he goes and he looks and he says, um, he says, uh, um, here's pastor Scott, pastor Scott, you can go ahead and pray for. Her and, and he looks over on the desk and he says, there's the oil. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I kind of remember growing up. I don't know, I necessarily remember what we did with the oil. And I, but again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor for three days, and the oil bottle, the lady, she was dressed kind of nice, but the bottle of oil was a, it was about this big, actually. It was about this big, and so he just looked at me, and said, "There's the oil." And again, I'm a pastor for three days. I just want to do exactly what the Bible says, and I'm trying to remember. Like I remember looking, and I'm thinking. Eh. I remember reading somewhere in the Bible about them. Pouring oil over Aaron's head, and then something about Samuel. Speaking of Samuel, pouring oil over David's head, and so again, I'm a pastor for three days. I, I want to make sure that I do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? I want to do what the Bible says. I'm new to this thing, and so we're sitting there, and I just remember that that as I was praying over the lady, so I'm praying over the lady. And I'm praying for the lady, and then I'm just going to pour the oil over. It, and I felt like God told me to do something real spiritual, but I not know if it, I was like I don't know if this guy, and so He just felt like He told me just to <laughs> shake it up, and then I made a cross <laughs> on her forehead in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I put it down and I walked up like, oh, Scott, you're such an idiot. You should have did what the Bible said. You should have poured the oil over her head. And now I'm feeling like, man, I'm three days in. Oh man, I don't even know what I'm doing. And then so I wanted to find out if I did the right thing. So I did what any other well-trained pastor would do. I Googled it. <laughs> and so, uh, and uh, according to Google, I did the right thing, amen, amen. How, you guys can be honest, it's the new year. I don't want you lying in church. How many of you guys wanted the story to be me pouring the oil overhead by a show of hands? Like, you guys are wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just right. It's just wrong. Like, oh, oh this is good. This is good. This is good. Sorry to disappoint you. I didn't disappoint the lady. But here's the thing. But here's the When I acknowledge that, here's the I don't have what it takes. I don't know what I'm doing. What it allowed me to do, it was I was able to acknowledge that giant of insecurity and adequacy that I don't have what it takes. But it allowed me to do the second thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down is this. You have to choose to trust God. You have to choose to trust God. And that's what I had to do. I had to choose to trust God because I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. As you guys can obviously see. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to choose to trust God. And so David's out there on the battle line and he's out there having this conversation with his brothers and Goliath is out going off. And so David's like, okay, I'll fight this guy. And as soon as he says that, everybody's over there laughing. Like, come on, really? Like, he's, come on, really, dude? And his, and his oldest brothers were the worst ones. Like, Eliab's like, David, man, go back and take care of the sheep. What are you even doing out here anyway? Tell dad we're good. Go back and take care of the sheep. You don't even need to be out here. What do you mean you're going to fight this giant? You're such an arrogant little 15-year-old. Man, ugh, I can't stand, nobody can't stand my little brother. You just, get, get out of here. And, then, and here, that's what was happening. Because David was getting ready to be elevated, the hater starts to come out. And that's what happens. Here's what's going to happen to you in 2016. As you begin to reach new levels, you're going to get new devils. And that's what you need to understand. And oftentimes, your haters and the naysayers and the devils are going to be the ones that are closest to you. They're going to be your brothers. They're going to be your sisters. They're going to be your friends. They're going to be your family members. What you got to do is you have to learn to tune out what they're saying and learn and begin to choose to trust God. And that's what David did. He says, I'm, I'm going to choose to trust God. And Saul says, David, come on, man. King Saul's like, I know you think you can go fight this guy, but you can't do There's no way you can do this. Here's what the Bible, here's what Saul says to David in verse 33, if you're following along. Saul says this. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, he was in the octagon doing head kicks way before any of these UFC people were. But David said to Saul, this is key, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When the lion or bear came, and carried his sheep off from the flock. I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Say lion and the bear. Lion and the bear. lion and the bear. lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, I'm saying this to you today, go and the Lord be with you. In other words, go and choose to trust God. Because here's what you need to understand, victory is always found on the other side of faith. You never see victory, then faith. It's always faith, then victory. If you look throughout the Bible, woman with the issue of blood, your faith has healed you. Blind Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. Young shepherd boy, your faith that you knew that God showed up before with the lion and the bear, that's what's gonna prepare you. That's what's gonna allow you to be victorious. And so what I want you to do today is think about the time when you know that God had showed up, the time that he took out that lion or bear situation in your life. Some of you, the only reason Reason you're even in here today is because the hand of God, because God took out your lion or bear. The only reason your marriage is together today is because of the hand of God. The only reason you're not an alcoholic anymore is because of the hand of God. The only reason you weren't killed in that car wreck was because of the hand of God. The only reason that you're not in prison is because of the hand of God. The only reason that you're not in that abusive relationship is because of the hand of God. The only reason that you made the decision to go to college was because of the hand of God because you knew that in the past, God has taken out the lion or bear in your life. So you have to choose to trust God. I mean, there's so many times where I have to take these faith steps in my life every single day. And I remember a time when my family, we decided to take a real faith step and and we decided to go Star Trek, a place a black man has never gone before. We decided to go skiing with like snow. you know what I'm saying? Like if you don't know stuff about black folks, I don't mean to speak for every black person, but I'll speak for 95% of them. Black folks don't like water and we don't like frozen water. You know what I'm saying? And so like we're going skiing in like the Pocono Mountains, the Pocono Mountains. And like my family, like, my wife prepared us for skiing. So like we were bundled up. We were dressed very warm. We had like six pairs of pants on. We had like five or six pairs of socks on. We had these warmer things in our inside of our shoes and our boots. We had these coverall, snowsuit-looking things. We had four or five layers around our chest. We had a north, south, east, and west face jacket on. We had a thing around our neck. we had two or three stocking caps on, we had goggles on, and literally it was time to go skiing, you know what I'm saying, and so I remember like walking up to this, I had to walk, I'm walking up to the counter to pay, how many of you guys been snow skiing by show of hands, okay, many of you guys have, many of you guys have, okay, so I'm going up to get ready to pay, and I get to the counter, and it's taking me all day to get my license out of my sixth layer of pants, and so finally I get my credit card out to pay, and the lady said, where are y'all going, <laughs> to the North Pole, I'm like, yes, as a matter of fact, I think we've arrived. You know what I'm saying? Like so And so I'm sitting there and we get ready to go we pay and then after you pay, the first thing you do is you go take lessons. Lessons are cool. You like on these little, you know, slopes or whatever. So we're doing lessons and the only thing I remember from lessons was like that's how you stop. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how you stop. And so we're doing lessons and during the lessons like it was about three years ago, so the boys were probably 13 and 9 at the time. And so my oldest son, Wesley, he was the best one out of all of us. I'm being honest, I was the worst one. And so we do the whole lessons thing, so we kind of get the lessons down. And then we finish the lesson. I'm like, cool, it's time to go home. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> what do you do after you take lessons? You go ski. Like, who would have thought? And so anyway... So it's time to go skiing. And so I remember this, like, uh, LaKendry and Jade, my youngest, and my wife, they, they go ahead and go up toward the little lift deal. And then um, my oldest, Wesley, he was the one that was the best. He just kind of stops. I'm like, what are you doing, son? He's like, I'm good. I'm like, I know you are good, but like, what are you doing? Let's go. He's like, no, I'm good. I come to find out translation for a teenager saying I'm good means like, my brother ain't doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, I'm good. I'm cool. Like, I'm not going up. But like, and I'm like, wait, no, come on, son, you can do It's Like, nah, no, I'm I'm cool, Dad. I'm good. I'm good. And so finally, I was like, come on here. I pull up my mask thing down, pull my goggles up. I'm like, like, son, you can do this. You got this. Trust me. Kind of looks at me like, whatever. And next thing you know, he starts. This is him skiing towards the lift. And as he's skiing towards the lift, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of hoping he didn't go to the lift because I didn't really want to go to the lift. You know what I'm saying? And so he's on his way to the lift. And so as he began to work his way towards the lift, what happened was his faith began to increase my faith. And how many of you guys know that's the story in life? We see the faith of someone else and their faith begins to increase our faith. We see that, that, that mom that made the decision to be a stay-at-home mom and we said maybe we can do it. We see that person that leaves and starts that business you say, you know what? Maybe we can be a business owner. We see a person that, that took a leap of faith and they, they didn't even have anything. They started to tithe. They said, we're gonna choose to trust God. We're gonna give God whatever. We're gonna start with the 10% and we're gonna make sure that we start with him first. We're gonna serve. We're gonna do it like, that we, their faith begins to increase our faith. And we see that, or maybe it's someone in our high school that, that starts to share their faith. Whatever it is, we see the faith of someone else, and it begins to increase our faith. And that's what it did for me. And so I, I decided to get on lift. I went up, and Wesley was already down somewhere. And I, so finally, I tried to go down, and I mean, it was bad. Like, I'm falling down. And, and one thing about skiing when you fall down, like, it's not, you can't just, like, get right back up. You got to, like, maneuver all weird and do this thing. and then. But, but here's what I learned is that although when you fall down it may be hard to get back up, as long as you're willing to get back up and get back on your feet, guess what? You will begin to go downwards. you begin to go forward. You'll begin to have some movement and traction towards the finish line or in life towards your destiny or in life towards what God has for you. But the key is, is you got to get back up on your feet. If you want to experience victory in 2016, I'm here to tell you, you need to get up on your feet and you need to begin to go down that slope. You need to begin to show some momentum and direction. And that's what, that's what I did. I finally get to the bottom and I'm trying to find Wesley and I don't see Wesley. I'm trying to find like Kendri and Jaden and I don't see them. So finally I see them. I was like, where's Wesley? They're like, I don't know. We thought he was with you. I'm like, oh, he went down way ahead of me. And so I'm looking, I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's probably in the locker room turning his skis. And so I'm getting ready to go ahead to the locker room to go find him. And then about that time, we kind of look up the slope and we see somebody coming down that looked like they were from the North Pole. <laughs> but the only thing is they were like bobbing and weaving and they come down and they finish and do a whole little shh stop. And we looked and it was Wesley. And I go over, I'm like, Wesley, like, what happened? Like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, well, you told me to trust you. He said, I've been down a couple times since then. I'm ready to go snowboarding. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what happens in life. Once you take out one giant, you're going to be ready for the next giant. Because here's the deal. You better get ready because once you take out one, know another one is going to show its head up. Once you kill the addiction of pornography, know that alcoholism is going to be knocking on your door. And so you take out one giant, you'll be ready for the next one. And here's the deal. My son made the decision to go down. Here's the: deal. I was, You know how I knew that he had what it take to, to get down this slope? It's because I'm his father. And the reason why he went down is because I said... Trust me. So I want you to imagine your Heavenly Father right now, lifting up His goggles, looking at His sons, looking at His daughters who are dealing with all different sorts of things, different issues, different seasons of life, different illnesses, different financial crises, different relational crises, different things that only you and God know about. And He's looking at you right now and He's saying, You got this. Trust me. So the question is are you going to listen to the naysayers? Are you going to make the decision and choose? to trust God, because when you choose to trust God, amazing things will start to happen. Again, remember to think about those times that God showed up. And so when people talk, talk about what God can't do, you remember when God did, because God was, God is, and God always will be. And so again, think about those moments and think about the times that God showed up. What bigger insult could we give to God than saying what he can't do? I mean, God can do and God will do. So again, are you choosing to trust God or are you listening to the enemy? Are you listening to the naysayers? Because here's the deal. Oftentimes we give the enemy way too much credit. Right. The only thing the enemy can do is whisper some negativity in your ear about what you can and can't do. Oh, you can't. You're not good enough. I mean, we tell, we say the enemy's doing everything. Some of you guys, you had a flat tire this week. Uh, you say that the devil is taking out my tires. Some of you guys, when your when your internet doesn't work, you're like the devil trying to attack my Wi-Fi. <laughs> the devil ain't attacking your Wi-Fi. Your internet's just not working. You know what I'm saying? But, here, but could it be that this happens that, that the devil's over here whispering in someone else's ear, and you say, The devil's trying to attack my Wi Fi, and he says, No, I'm not trying to attack your Wi Fi, but let me whisper something else in your ear. I, mean, I know you got a great husband, but you know what? Bob at work, he's a really sweet guy. He's really nice to you. I think he would make a better choice than your husband. Boom, he's got you. Or, I know you've been drug free. Boom, you should try this. And that's what happens. So here's the deal. Don't give the enemy the credit that he's not even deserving. You start to bring the enemy into your conversation. You'll start to listen to the negativity. You'll start to listen to the naysayers. So the question I'm going to ask you for 2016 is, are you choosing to trust God? Are you choosing to trust God with your time? How many of you guys have went through all 2015? You come to this church, you get fed every single week, but yet you hadn't served one single service. The question is, are you choosing to trust God? Some of you spend a lot of money on Christmas that, and now you're looking back and saying, why did I spend that money? But yet you haven't made the decision to tithe. Are you choosing to trust God with your finances? The question is, are you, are you choosing to trust God with your relationships? Are you giving more, more time and energy to your job than you are to your spouse and to your kids? The question is, are you choosing to trust God? Are you, are you pouring into meaningful relationships? Because when you choose to trust God, that's when you'll start to see some amazing breakthroughs happen in your life. I was thinking about this couple that... Um, that I had, uh, they went to my church, and it was, um, the, the doctors had told them that there was no way that they were gonna be able to get pregnant, there's no way to be able to have a baby, and I remember he sent me a text, I saved this text back from uh, March 3rd of 2014, 943 a.m. is when he sent it to me, and uh, here's what he said, he says, "'Hey, Scott, I hope you're doing well. "'I wanted to share something with you "'since I know you've been praying. "'We haven't told anyone this yet, "'but this time last year, doctors said we would never, ever conceive. Well, we just found out that we're five weeks pregnant. God is so faithful. He decrees and the world has to agree. And here's the thing, my friends. One thing I can tell you about this couple and about this husband is his faith never wavered. Not once. Not once he knew that God was going to show up. And since then, they've had a beautiful daughter. They've started a business named after her and their business from the proceeds even go to human trafficking. But all of that was a result of they knew that God was going to show up. Matthew 19, 26. Nothing is impossible with God. That's the key part is with God. Nothing is impossible with God means nothing is impossible with God. As a matter of fact, if you take the word impossible, give it a little bit of breathing room, it simply says I'm possible. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's what you need to understand, that nothing is impossible with God. But the question, are you choosing to trust God? When you choose to trust God and you realize that nothing is impossible with God, that's when you will start to see some breakthroughs in your life. That's when you start to things, see things happen. Because here's the deal. God is not moved by the size of your giants. God is moved by the size of your faith. Yes. The question is, do you have the faith? Are you choosing to trust God? So the first thing, acknowledge there's a giant. Choose to trust God. And the last thing is this. The T is you need to take a stand. Everybody say, take a stand. Take a stand. That's what David did. David said, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to take this big, ugly giant out. That's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to take a stand. So, what David did is he walks over uh, to the battle lines. He goes over to the battle line and says, I'm going to take this big, ugly dude out. He says, I'm sick and tired of him talking noise. I'm sick and tired of everyone being scared because everyone was over there saying, David, what are you thinking about? Do you see this big giant? And they're all stressed out. And David looks at him like, man, I'm too blessed to be stressed. You know what I'm saying? I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm not worried about it. And that's what you are. When you choose to trust God, and when you take a stand, that's going to be your story. You're going to be way too blessed to be stressed out and worried about anything. And so Saul says, David, well, David, here's the deal. If you're going to go fight these giants, if you're going to take them out, at least I want you to put on my armor. I need you to put on my armor. So he, Saul gives David his armor and, and David puts it on. He's like, man, I don't know if this, this really fits me. And so um, And this is the point in the sermon where it gets real serious and somebody's going to probably come play on the keys and it's going to make me sound a whole lot more spiritual um, than I, than I normally, than I normally do. And um, so David, he's sitting there on the battle lines. He has on Saul's armor and he says, I'm sorry, this, this just doesn't fit me. This doesn't fit me. He says, I don't know how to use this. He says, but something I have gotten pretty competent at and that I've used over the years and, and taken out a, a line or bearing my time is, is something that looks like this. This was David's sling. And, and he says, man, I, I can't use that armor, but I do know how to use this. And so he says, I, I, I can use this thing right here, but I, I can't use this armor. And so, so he got the sling out. And the Bible says that he goes over to the stream and the Bible says that he pulls out five smooth stones. It says that he pulls out five smooth stones out of the stream. And, and if you, some people wonder like, why did he pull out five smooth stones? And if you do further research in the Bible, what you'll know in ancient times, they had something that was called blood revenge. And so if you take out one of my friends or family members, my family members specifically, it's blood revenge that I'm gonna take you out. And if you do further research, what you'll know about Goliath is that he had four other relatives that were also giants. And so what David was doing is what scholars think is what David was doing. What he was saying was, here's the deal. Not only am I going to take out this big giant named Goliath, but I got four other stones for us, four ugly relatives if they want to come get some too. And so what he was doing is he was putting his other giants on notice. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to put your giants on notice and say, I'm ready. Not I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take every single other one that's in line. All you got to do is get in line and get ready. And so David was in this position called ready. Verse 48. Here's what the Bible says that David did. uh, Verse 48 as the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David didn't wait. You can't wait. 2016 is here. You can't wait. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, and reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. In other words, God had given him exactly what he needed. Some of you guys don't think that you have what you need. You've been given exactly what you need. You're not too young, you're not too old. God has given you exactly what you need in your possession to be able to take out your giants. So you're already prepared. So David, he triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck him down and killed him. But I love this part. It says that David ran over him and he took a hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And so he didn't just say, giant, I'm going to take you out. He took him out. He said, I'm going to make sure you're out. So he took him out. He cut his head off and he held his head up for every single other one of the giants to see if you want some, you better come get some. And what he did was he took out his phone. He took a selfie. Hashtag giant killer. Put a few edits on the selfie. Put some graphics behind I actually happen to have a picture of what it looks like. This is, this is what it looks like. And that's who you guys are. You're giant killers. You're going to take out some giants in 2016. 2016 is going to be different. So what you need to understand is this. What appears to be a setback is actually a setup for your success. Now think about this. This is so, this is so good. The, the reason why David was in position... For greatness. Let me tell you why. Because he simply was doing what his father asked him to do. His father said, I want you to just take this grain and corn. He wasn't out there on the battle lines. He wasn't a warrior. Here's the thing. Many of you are missing greatness. Many of you are missing destiny because you're not doing what your father asked you to do. And David was just doing the little things, the things that seem mundane, the things that don't seem like they're a big deal, like scooping the poop and delivering a care package. If you do what your heavenly father has asked you to do, guess what? He's going to show up. He's going to put you in a position for greatness, but you need to do the little things. You need to do Do what your heavenly Father has asked you to do. And God sent me here to tell you that some of you need to do some stuff. You need to take a stand. You know what God has been asking you to do. You know what God has been calling you to do. You see, David was anointed the king of Israel at 15. He wasn't appointed the king of Israel until he was 30. So here's the deal. There's a difference between your anointment and your appointment. Many of you have been anointed for greatness. You've been anointed for breakthrough. You've been anointed to reach the world with this church. You've been anointed to have an amazing marriage. You've been anointed to have finances that are off the charts. You've been anointed to be able to be a blessing to others. Your appointment is getting ready to come. Your appointment comes when you acknowledge your giants, when you choose to trust God, and when you take a stand because you're a giant killer. I'm telling this right now. Matter of fact, if you're in this room and you say, you know what? I'm a giant killer. I just want you to take a stand right now. I want you to stand up and you say, I'm a giant killer. You're going in 2016, you say, I'm a giant killer. Right now, all across this room, all the giant killers, I want you just to raise your hand. Just raise one hand right now and pray over every single one of you. God, I pray right now for your sons and daughters. I pray for these giant killers that are in this room right now, Lord. Would you begin to release them, God? Right now, God, I see chains of addiction being broken, God. I see those that are insecure become secure. in you, God. I see relationships being restored, God. I see revival happening on college campuses, God. I see teenagers having a different faith, God. I see those who didn't think they could go to college and generations that didn't go to college I see them going to college right now, God. I see, I see smiles on people's faces, Lord. I see people get forgiving people, God, because they understand when they forgive somebody that it doesn't take them off of your hook. God, it just takes them off of their hook. Lord, release your giant killers, God. As we're still praying with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you can put your hands down right now. It's the most important part of the entire sermon. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to hear me. I know for certain there's so many of you that are in this room that are under the sound of my voice that are online right now. That if life were to end today, you're not certain that you'd spend eternity in heaven. Because so many of you, you have a head knowledge. Yeah, you know God, you've read your Bible, you, you listen to the worship music, you sing a Christian song, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never invited him to come into your life and be your Lord of Lords. Here's what I know so many people are gonna miss heaven by 12 inches because they have a head knowledge but they don't have a heart acceptance. So if you're here today, and today's the day you're saying, I want to be certain where I stand with God. I want to start 2016 making the most important decision of my entire life. If you're here today and you say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to wash my sins away, to make me brand new, and to change me forever. If that's you right now across this room, just raise your hand high right now and keep it up. Raise it high and keep it up. Just keep it up so I can acknowledge you. I see both of you. See all three of you right there, right there, right there. Sir, I see you right there. Keep my up, please. Ma'am. All three of you guys back there, back on there the back, right there sir three or four of you all over the middle all of you too many to count too many to count so many of you over here to my left I'm acknowledging every single one of you so many people awesome any others of you one one last time just keep those hands up awesome the most important decision of your entire life one last time if you're here today say Jesus I want you to be my Lord be my Savior wash my sins away just raise your hand high if you had not raised your hand yet Ma'am, I see you right here, others of you, so many of you. God, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Couples. God bless you. God bless you. Couples. So many people. So many people. Here's what we're going to do, Anchor Church, is we're going to pray a prayer in faith with, I don't know, it's too many to count people in this room that have raised their hands and making a decision to surrender life to Jesus. We're going to pray this prayer out loud together, loudly, as a church family, and celebrate these decisions that are being made right here in our Presence. So every single person, repeat this prayer after me, saying, Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. Today I choose to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me and make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray amen. Come on, Anchor Church. Let's give it up for, for lives that have been changed and transformed forever. We serve an awesome God. For those of you guys that raise your hand, you make the most important decision of your entire life. Anchor Church, don't take this for granted. Churches will go their entire lifetime, and what just happened in this room right now will not happen. This is an amazing church. God's hand is on this. For those of you guys that raise your hand, your life is never going to be the same. Every single one of you, your giant killers, walk out these doors with your chest stuck out and know that nothing is impossible with God. God bless you guys.